This is Larry Zerner, Shelley from Friday 13 Part 3. You're on Nightmare Junkhead. Hey, genius, fuck you too. Out of your consciousness, like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that knows in order to get uh, cross-eyed and painless, one has to first make lots of flippy floppy. My name is Greg D. (laughs) I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode... uh, We're going to get milk face and hum like rabbits. (laughs) Not quite, not quite. But actually, we're going to be... Prepping for this year's Into the Mouth of March Madness uh, by cracking open our Patreon vault. And we begin by looking into the content from our Squidly Diddly tier. Don't dream it. And uh, uh, whether you've prayed to the god of Melville or not, uh, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your hole. And you can actually find us on social media. <laughs> Everywhere it goes. I'm reminded of her. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on both Blue Sky and Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. But it is only on the Book of Face, where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and Lancey and Air shenanigans. And this episode is going to be releasing on a Friday, February 2nd. Uh, if you find yourself in the Kansas City area, head on over to Screenland.com, where they will have the Lancey and Air shenanigans just taken care of indoors. That is it. That For is now. It. Uh, better yet, head over to the Friday Night Fright tab. But before we start talking about... The Friday Night Fright that is playing on the Friday this episode releases. Uh-huh. I wanted to talk about a recent experience we had at Friday Night Frights. Mm-hmm. Uh, recent being as in like backward in time. Well, that is, yeah, that is to be said just in terms to kind of give you an idea of how the sausage is made. We're recording this way in advance. It's it's still 2023, kids. We This is the day after we experienced mm-hmm. audition yeah. with a crowd. And I'm talking a crowd that we were in theater to. But packed. And it played so much better yeah. with that crowd yeah. in two than it would have in one. And that's why I love the distinctive difference sometimes between... Because pa- packed two has a different vibe. Because packed two is about a quarter of one. Uh-huh. And it doesn't have the same feel. And we legit champion... The communal experience, you know, seeing a movie in a theater, Absolutely. and it's it's genuine because because it's palpable to <laughs> see people squirm, <laughs> to, to hear people hear react. the reaction, to see the and not like over the over the top, and no. not like people talking. And this is we, we breach about dumb, yeah, yeah. So, but just to see like oohs and ahs and. <laughs> and nopes and just shit like that. And a good, I'd say, what do we say, at least 80%. 80% of the people were seeing it for the first time. So that kind of excitement mm-hmm. and electricity you could feel with the audience because they, a lot of them knew about the reputation. In fact, there was a group of friends that brought one of their friends. Unknowing. 
Unknowing. Told them nothing. Absolutely blind, blind, blind. And the first thing they see is people, people uh, in the pre-show, acupuncture, blood squirts, and bad taste people vomiting. Like, you could hear people in the pre-show going, ugh. <laughs> well, and then I'm glad we gave a little bit of context because- We had to. We have to give context. With that movie, that first, you know, the, for 45, the first 45 minutes- it's all that it, reveal. It's a romantic drama. A hundred percent. Like it's like two and, two people finding each other in the sea of loneliness in Japan. And then those those softer moments were hitting with the audience. Right. And then the turn happens. And I even warn people. I normally don't like to warn people about crazy turns like that. But like, hey, just, you, there's going to be times you're like, why is this even horror? I, you're, <laughs> yeah. You're engaged in this story. Trust me, when the switch happens, you'll know. And sure enough, once the bag moved, you heard people go, holy shit. You heard people it was, jump. It was grand. And there is something to be said about the stuff that, you know, you're never going to be able to unsee, the stuff you're going to never be able to unhear, and just to experience the totality of that. The communal experience cannot be you know, matched. It was so <laughs> much fun. And I'll be honest, also in theater too, you know, we take specific spots, you know, when we host in theater one, we're always at the front, mm -hmm. but that's just because it's easier to be right there. Right. But in two, we sit in the back and to the side. And that's because just, we get the good periphery. Also just in the access, the projector Plus, volume. Yeah, we can get right there if we need. But be. yes, the periphery in the back, especially yeah. when I can just be sit, just sat there unknown for the most part, but just to soak everyone in. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was grand last night. It was so much fun, and it was a reminder because it closed out 2023, but it was just throughout the years we've been doing this, it's been fun to experience these movies with people. Yeah. And like I said, it's so different when you're at home with a, with, you know, a, a group of right. people than when you're in the theater. It's just so, again... And, and especially Ugh. knowing that that many people are experiencing <laughs> that for the first time, because a lot of people, even seasoned vets like us, it's different on the big screen with the sound design like that. And the last time I, I've seen it before theatrically, I caught it as a Terror Tuesday mm -hmm. uh, back at the Draft House. So it's been a while, and it's been long enough because we then watched it for madness. So that was about years three back. years ago. Yeah, almost four in this case. So that's it's been a while, mm -hmm. and there were so many moments in the movie though. Like after a certain person goes down a set of stairs, people cheered when it flipped. That moment, that pulsating moment, I always forget about. Yeah, and we even offered the Yelp review. Yeah, so. and then when you see the act of the Yelp review or the aftermath, you're like, oh, you heard people go, mm -hmm. no, mm -hmm. right? The when the the wire starts, rip, rip, rip. You oh. could hear people go, huh, and then the nopes when she got out the needles and it was heading towards the eye. Well, so the best part though. <laughs> Was I did say someone literally make the connection from the stuff that happened into the pre-show? He did a basic Rick Dalton thing where he's like, "Ah, <laughs> see, that's the thing." I <laughs> almost want. I almost for the people who are seeing movies for the first time and they come in. I almost want to say, "Now remember, the pre-shows are the clues." Oh yeah, you right. know, pre-shows are going to show you what's. In, but for like the people who've seen the movie before, it's like, <laughs> I get that reference. You know, it's funny when they put two and two. But yeah, you it's, saw like the actual like. Oh. Oh. And that's to be said. It's same thing with the vomit. <laughs> oh, the and that's to be said. We take into effect the totality of the experience from the second the pre-show starts 
to when the credits roll, to when the conversations ideally happen afterwards. Mm -hmm. We hope everyone had a good time with that. But it's like I said, because it's the last one we had here in 2023 and we're recording (laughs) for way advance into 2024. (laughs) I just want to say everyone out there. Thank you. Phenomenal. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, uh, on the second, uh, the first Friday Night Fright here in February and. Love is in the air. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and this is one of those that I have I have seen, never seen it on the big screen. So this will be the first time seeing it in the theater, and I can't honestly tell you the last time I caught Cemetery Man. Mm-hmm. It's been twenty to probably at least twenty years. Really, mm-hmm. I saw it a couple of years ago. Okay, so it's uh, fairly it. fresh. Yeah, I own a copy of it, so, okay. so I watch it, but it's wonderful it's a capital f film and it's so beautifully shot but so wonderfully bat shit weird right when you think it's... you know where it's gonna go nope i mean the whole like same actors playing multiple characters all dying horrific ways a mix a zombie plague you'll question your own sanity i mm-hmm. think several times throughout the film it's very existential he has conversations with the angel of death I mean, that's... But at the same time, it is also... It and very Nagi much, rules. Nagi. Nagi's the fucking undersung hero of this shit. One of the... the, the, the if, when I'm looking at, like, forming another relationship, I'm, I'm looking at the standards right. of Nagi to make sure. I have a feeling this is going to sell out super quick because I'm, it is rare, rare, rare to see Delamore to Delamore out and about. It's getting a boutique Blu-ray, which I know is one of the reasons that they're putting it out there, but I'd also like to think then, kind of like with Audition, a lot of people will be experiencing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. So really looking forward to that. Now, looking forward then to next Friday Night's Fright and another filmmaker that we were able to take in his like next level work. Yeah. Like it's not Henan Lauder 101. No. It's not even graduate level, but it's that sophomore level class. Thankfully, we've got some Hen and Lauder 101 here. We got some gateway entry in the wild world of Hen and Lauder, which with a title that you would think would be like advanced studies Hen and Lauder, but no. Ladies and gentlemen, want a date? Frankenhooker? I can't fucking wait. <laughs> to see this up on the big screen will be a joy to take in. And the I think the best part about this is like you said, for a filmmaker like Hen and Lauder. It really is gateway yeah, in is. terms of the stuff that's the least heinous yeah. of what he has to offer. But it still has super crack and killer boobs and, and like all sorts of crazy shit. Pimps and hoes getting like with Frankenstein. And a lot of hen and a lot of regulars. A lot of Keep an eye out on regulars. him. Keep an eye out for him. <laughs> now, the other uh, repertory screenings that are going to be happening on the weekend of the second. The not ready for 42nd Street. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you what. This is one you could have probably seen on 42nd Street, and it is, and I've seen that for me. Uh, Cannibal the Musical. I That's a nice scene that for me, too. But I know it's South Park, and I know it's South Park sensibilities about the Donner Party. And I know one of the notorious things is is on the commentary track. Uh, apparently, it's either that or orgasmo that they get. They're drinking, uh-huh. and they just get increasingly just shit faced throughout, and therefore the commentary itself starts escalating throughout. <laughs> I've heard different things regarding that one. Now, the other one that is playing, and I know, God, we were talking off mic. You rented Dogtooth. Yes. Anticipating one thing, uh-huh. and then you got Dogtooth. Yeah. 
I still I was anticipating horror. I still got it. Got just it. not the one I was ready for cuz ooh, wait, this movie is fucked. This <laughs> this movie is fucked up. I I like it. Uh it's all about so basically long story short of it this husband and wife scientist team uh do experiments psychological experiments on their kid and then they hire somebody to come and like babysit them and sexual shenanigans disturbing shenanigans and uh yelp shenanigans abound and given that it's your ghost lanthimos and recently poor things ah, by the time we did the best of 2023 i hadn't seen poor things yet it would have made my fave five and he is definitely a filmmaker i know technically it's and i've seen that for me but i know of its reputation it's i know of those scenes and if, if it makes me go heavens yeah i know it's got to be fairly heady and heavy so imagine to be able to see that up on the big screen <laughs> that will be an experience oh, hands up <laughs> now, uh, continuing the filmmaking series that they've been putting on, uh, closing out Kubrick last month and opening up a modern master mm -hmm. and one that in terms of the films he's put out have all worked for us. And I know people throw out the word master a lot, but we definitely consider him one of those that is definitely gearing up to be worthy of the title. Uh, they're going to be uh, featuring Jordan Peele. Yes. This month. Yes. And we're going to be kicking things off with Get Out. He needs a few more big hits under his belt to, before we can consider. We're, but we're so far, he's got a good track record. We're getting another one this year. He's got a ideally. good track record. And Get Out was the movie that introduced us to his style, his aesthetic, his voice. I think we said three out of five. If we get, I think like if he gets three out of five, then That's, we can consider him. So, a, so that means he can just do miss two on more, his next and two he can more. Miss on the two. He, yeah. We can, we were like, okay, that's that's fair. Well, it was assured, and it was one of those movies that even some people argued whether or not it was horror. Yeah, which usually that's a good sign. Much like with like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, yeah, it's horror, but it's just really good. Same thing. When, what I don't get is like, uh, The Shape of Water is it horror? It's a fucking fish monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, ideally, we hope to see you. Uh, out and about, palling around with the Screenland film family, mm -hmm. but genius if I'm talking film family. Hey, bellies. We, of course, have our own collection of film family hanging over at Patreon, and in fact, the entirety of this month, we're kind of opening up the vault here because mm -hmm. we are only... Before it goes back into the Disney vault. We're not that. We're not no. that bad. Come on no. now. We're not no. that bad. Uh -uh. Uh, but I would say this is due to the fact that we are preparing... Uh, for this year's Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. Yep. And we have found, through the many years, best practices. Trial and error. <laughs> it's best to take the month of February off. Uh-huh. But we want to make sure that we are still putting episodes out. We don't. We want to take the month off, but we don't want to leave you guys high and dry. Exactly. We've got five listeners out there that we need to attune to their needs. Yes, the dirty dozen. And what better way than to open up to stuff that is not 
available on the main feed, mm-hmm. and to ideally maybe give you all a taste, entice, entice <laughs> of what we're doing over hey, on Patreon. You've had you've had the freebies now. Try this. We it's, now try take. We're like the people who like the, the, these episodes are the equivalent of that old lady at Sam's Club that's cooking for you and then puts it all in a little cup. You know it's fresh and it's good and mm-hmm. it's like hey, you know what. If you want some, it's an aisle three. You can take it from home, you know? So consider this your sample. And you know what? Feel free to um, you don't need to get as many samples as you want. You don't even have to go back like I used to do. Go back in line with another hat or like, you know, put on another shirt. Mustache. Take go, yep. <laughs> I'm gonna t- or I'm gonna take one to my brother. Okay, sure. I'm gonna go take one to my sister and my aunt and my cousin. They're over there. Okay. Hey, my mom said, can she have a couple? My my dad and my third cousin. Yeah, sure. Like here, just take it. Just so like. <laughs> that is to say, we are someone that can appreciate mm-hmm. samples mm-hmm. in this case. Please enjoy. And we wanted to sample then all of our tiers. And what better way to start than at our entry level tier, mm-hmm. our squidly diddly tier. Mm-hmm. And from the get go, we realized when we had the tier thing, what we had a name. One of them were going to be squidly, squidly diddly. diddly, yeah. And why not let that be our intro level tier? Mm-hmm. And I'd really like to also think we give a lot of bang for the buck. Yeah, with the squidly diddly as you should. Well, you get a, in this case a two hours, at least two hours a month of content, mm-hmm. and it starts with um, if you're not here for Friday Night Frights, but you'd like a little Friday Night Fright adjacent experience. Well, on regardless of your tier, starting at squidly diddly, we do put out the uh, pre-show. And the trailers mm-hmm. that we run before every Friday Night Fright, so you can host, which are glorious, own. dude. It's, it's they're, good. They're, 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 they add a lot of. <laughs> it's 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 fun when little things that I hope hit, especially hit. like in audition. Oh yeah, I just realized. Well, even when watching um, Black Christmas, the uh, Murder by Phone. Trailer. Kills every time, every time, every and time. It's a good movie too, but yeah. the trailer significantly. Because it, it's just, especially because people can enjoy that by different levels. Because uh, like youngsters are like, "What the fuck what is that?" Yeah, <laughs> rotary what? Right. And then of course us older folks. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So again, we you have access to that. Um, also once a month we're bringing back our little shutter shout out watch party, mm-hmm. of which we provide. It is this now. This is video content. Yes. So God forbid. If you actually want to see what we look like, right? Why we are usually an audio-only podcast, or some of the gestures that we make, although Jesus Christ, that yeah, might that's... not be <laughs> that might not be the selling point that I think it is. Yeah, there's a couple times I'm glad <laughs> we're not on camera all the time, my friend. I know there's a lot of podcasts that like that's part of the thing. There's a reason we're in the dark most Shame. of the time. We, we both grew up Catholic, guys, so you get, <laughs> there's a reason why we don't do a lot of shit on video. Now, that being said, what we do is we uh, we do, uh, we do stream two films via Shudder, mm-hmm. and we put together, basically, what do you call it? It's the Shudder shout It's the home game. The home game. So we provide customized pre-show, mm-hmm. a video introduction. Yep. Of which we break it down for you, give you a little context, a Yelp warning, perhaps. Yeah, especially if you need, especially on some of these. Indeed, indeed. And then, of course, we have a, a vintage trailer reel for each movie, mm-hmm. and then we have a post-film discussion, right? Of which we process what we take in, and then we also then provide an audio portion of said discussion as well. If mm-hmm. you do not want to watch and look at our dirty mugs, exactly. I totally understand. <laughs> All of that and then some. And then three times a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, you're going to get 
part of what I've the one of the better things for Patreon for me at least is a discipline of watching new movies. And so three times a week, you're going to hear my thoughts and reactions to a first time viewing. And it could be horror, action, romantic comedies. I've explored everything. You run the gambit, man. In this case, it's been glorious. I've uh, over 500 some odd movies I've watched for Patreon. And yeah, I'm and I've got a I've got a list. I've got stuff that's not on the list, but that's on the radar. I have the happy accidents. And so I wanted to make sure then with this episode that we give you a taste of audio-wise, of what we put out there, and looking back at last year's Shutter Shoutouts, mm-hmm. a number of wonderful double features that we took in. They were all perfect in every way! <laughs> but there was one in particular <laughs> where, and I think it was something that also kicked off for me, uh, really traveling into the wilderness a lot and going into, like, when nature... Runs amok. So we did a when animals nature attack. an animals attack when nature runs amok double feature. Uh, we took in the current Ozploitation film Boar, uh-huh. and then the 1970s William Girdler classic Day of the Animals, starring Leslie Nielsen as you, and Leslie Nielsen as you've never seen him before. And as you'll listen in to our conversation, our good friend Dustin walked in during our viewing of said film, and he had a rough a rough go of it. I'll let you listen to it, but now the problem you continue. What are you watching? You took way too much joy in his dissonance that he he was experiencing there, but someone did mention. Don't I always know? But someone did make mention that that pure joy made this one of the better discussions that we had based on said experience. So you're going to hear our thoughts on both Boar and Day of the Animals, and then I've got a selection of first-time viewings from last year that, for some reason or another, were one of my some of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to hear my thoughts on Modern Girls, a vehicle for one um, Clayton Rohner, playing double duty, almost kind of like what he went up against in just one of the guys. Uh-huh. He plays an everyday, an everyday guy and a rocker. It's a mid-'80s. Virginia Madsen's in it. Oh. And it's it's a it was a nice surprise. It was a nice surprise. Is it a b- a bummer jam? No, it's it's actually it's it's pleasant. Okay, it's pleasant. It's no American last American Virgin. Okay, yeah, nothing like that. Now that being said, I really got into um, exploring a number of actors' filmographies throughout this feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them being one Jennifer Jason Lee, mm-hmm. and I have just been taking in a number of first time viewings of her movies. And I'm going to have you all listen to my thoughts on this film called Heart of Midnight. Ooh. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. Neither had I. And I went on one night going, okay, I'm going to go to Tubi. I'm going to search Jennifer Chasen Lee. I'm going to search for a movie that's about an hour and 35 and under. Heart of Midnight came on. I watched it. And it could work as a possible double feature uh, with The Legend of Hell House. In terms really? of horny ghosts, a place where Cenobites might be summoned. Oh wow! With Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have my curiosity. And then I'm going to close out with one of my just favorite first time viewing experiences, uh, both because I caught it theatrically mm-hmm. at Screenland and Theater One, and not only was it a first time like movie going experience, but it was a first time music 
going experience as taken and stopped making sense for the first time. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine somebody telling uh, people to be quiet during that movie at, at a movie watching party? Well, especially at the draft house back in the day when it is a dance and sing along. Right. I, I Again, please, I understand if it's a regular down. screening. Well, from what I understood, in regular screenings throughout, even like the, especially the IMAX ones, People were up and dancing. It's hard not to. It's a concert movie. I had the most grand and glorious first time viewing experience. It, uh, there was some Screenland regulars sitting next to me, and we all were shimmying in the couches. And that those first time viewing experiences in lieu with the hearing of the music for the first time, I have gone back to this so many times throughout oh my god i love fucking talking heads and that movie is so fucking rad dude and you know what that's how you can do a concert movie and have everybody enjoy along and not interrupt the other movies like uh, the fucking swifty movie or the beyonce movie you know what i'm saying it's i mean i'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum again but at the same time like you know you can have a good time and sing along in the concert movie and don't but don't have to like fucking interrupt all the other ones Mm -hmm. so like stop making sense is a perfect example it's a great fucking film man it was it was transformative. It was incredible. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it for you. Okay. Thank you. Let's save it for off mic. I yeah. appreciate that. So please take a sampling of uh, what we have here on the Squidly Diddly tier. If you would like to have access to that, head on over to patreon.com slash nightmare junkhead. And again, we've got a lot to look forward to in this month, a lot to pre- prepare for for this year's Into the Mouth of March Madness. So until that next time, uh, this is Greg D. And by the God of Melville, I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. By the god of Melville, baby doesn't walk, baby doesn't talk. I had I had anticipated enjoying both of these movies. I don't know if I anticipated the amount of Rick Dalton moments we had during both, credits for both. Both of these movies, the, these movies were both mean and fun at the same time. And going in blind is a little hesitant, but knowing the pedigree involved with both of these movies should have known a good time would be, be had. had by all oh my goodness except gracious. the animals oh no even the animals I, i'd have to well i it definitely should be noted in our first film i'm sure peta was there or the australian peta whatever it is weta because oh. <laughs> that was peta and weta <laughs> but in 1977 with our other one i'm sure most of them were okay hopefully you know, it's uh, 1977, another time. Another place. But let's start in 2017. <laughs> in the world, in the words of Mick Garris, they're probably dead by now. Oh, God. Yeah, Clovis. Yeah. We hardly knew thee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I do know, genius. Bill Mosley and pigs? Our love of Bill Mosley and big and giant pigs mm-hmm. going to Australia. <laughs> Pork chop. That's my favorite. In fact... Just a few months ago, we were in Australia with road games. Uh huh. Osploitation is something we legitimately love. Oh, absolutely. And because we know it's fucking dangerous. Everything is both gorgeous and dangerous at the same time in Australia. It's one of those places I would genuinely love to go, but my anxiety—my anxiety of just people talking in the theater 
gives me like nausea, knowing that anything and everything over there could potentially hurt or destroy me. Right. Oh my god, I don't think I could have fun. No, I would be terrified. What I did have fun. I had a lot of fun with Boar Genius. Me too. Holy smokes. Okay, so Australian Razorback movies. It goes all the way back to 1984. Mm-hmm. With Razorback. With a little film called Razorback. Uh, Russell Mulcahy, T-Rock. who directed a Highlander. It's beautiful. It's brutal. It's mean. It's very Australian. Yeah, it is. I've had a chance. I was lucky enough to see that in the theaters of Terror Tuesday back at the Draft House days. And, oh, man. Because they lean into, as we've seen with exploitation films before, like Body Melt, the weirdness of the outback and the characters you can find yourself interacting in the outback. There's crazy shit. And that's post pre apocalyptic. <laughs> when things are on the normal. No, things on the regular shit gets wild. Can you imagine, like, when everybody's out there fighting for guzzoline and shit? Well, speaking of, there is a bit of a connection between Mad Max well, and the movie. This is where the beauty of going in as blind as possible just starts reaping fruits. Because the Rick Dalton moment I had was in the credits by a name I recognized, but then eventually by faces I recognized. But you have any exploitation film, and it doesn't include Roger Ward. Yeah. It's not really an exploitation no. film. No, no. And he is that guy in He's, the original Mad Max when he is giving Max that that like that little lesson and he's got his shirt off, he's got the parrot in the background. He's got the beater, and he's just there. He he is basically like you're bald heavy in your thing. He's the mm-hmm. one that mm-hmm. he's always the one like, oh, it's that dude. He's that like, oh, this is what we're gonna do. He's in everything. And what's funny is when he shows up in uh the man who the man from Hong Kong. <laughs> he almost got me. He shows Didn't up with. Didn't have to try. <laughs> he has a full head of hair. Yeah. And no facial hair. So it's like, wait. It's the inverse. Wait. wait. It's so bizarre. They're not going to recognize me with more disguise. Normally, take that ridiculous thing off. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just a warm little, like, okay, it's an exploitation flick. Mm-hmm. But then, see, I didn't recognize the names. But I recognize the faces and I especially recognize the voices. Yeah. And technically, it's an I've seen that for me. I haven't seen Wolf Creek yet. Oh, really? I like Wolf Creek. It's fucking mean. It's I, basically Outback Hostel. That's. I saw the first one in the theater and then I saw. I heard the series is pretty good. But I do like that actor. And that's uh, just it. John Jarrett. Yes. Because I understand he's wonderfully charismatic in the movie. Uh-huh. But also equally as terrifying. Yeah. So when he comes up and he's our warm, supporting dad. Good dude. Just cracking jokes, right, with his buddy Blue. I was thinking the whole time, you're my boy, Blue. And that duo we spend a lot of time with. So great. They had such good chemistry. In fact, to the point where, like, there was a time where, like, Blue and um, uh, Jarrett was, like, all right, you're just going around, just do this since so bitching. Quit acting like a goddamn twit. So why are you talking to me like that all the time? Right? And they're just going at it like an old married couple. And I was thinking to myself, fuck, that's going to be like me and Dustin in like 10 years. And then I started thinking about it like, no, that's going to be me. That's me and Mount Baldy now. That's going to be me and Greg in 10 years. Got to take some time to, to grow. Because right? um, we're all, if you ever see this like out and about, like it's almost like me with me and Mount Baldy. 
Did you get everything we needed? No, I thought you were going to get the whole thing. No, you said you were an assault being such a goddamn twit. You know, so it's like, you yeah. Basically, you have two positives with you two. At least with us, it's a positive and a negative. The complimentary <laughs> thing, it works. It works. I'd like to think if we found ourselves in the outback, we'd, we'd we, find a way. First of all, we would. Well, we wouldn't. Yeah. We wouldn't. You wouldn't, ideally. No, because I would talk you out of it. Like, oh, I want a free strip to a show. You fucking won't come back. Have we not seen enough movies? Oh, I would show. I would like, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to watch. We're gonna, first of all, we're going to watch Stunt Rock. Okay, and then like you're not going to the outback. Well, I might throw in Crocodile Dundee, but throw in some stage and fright, and I guarantee you I will not leave my house. There we go. You get me a drunken some Donald loved ones. Just throw in everything. <laughs> Which, needless to say, again, we legitimately love our exploitation films. But then another, hey, it's that guy. Mm-hmm. You talked about Crocodile Dundee, yeah, and his buddy from the uh, the Aborigine. Yeah, it's the Aborigine dude from there, and cracking jokes, talking shit. That's the thing I like about all these character actors and, and Australian character actors being Australian, and uh, it's just everybody in this movie was fucking charming. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the accents, if they're just because everybody was just so funny with each other. Just they just seem like salty vets. Now in a wedding ball. Ooh, a Weddingo bar. Uh-huh. Did we have some? I, okay, so. there was trophies. There were there some was, trophies. There was a little bit of wood paneling around the side. All the regulars oh, were there, right. the salty vets. Weddingo. Wow. Yeah, well. Weddingo ate Dingo. baby. It did. Now the baby's going to transform. So you got to watch out for the mukmuks. Are we saying then we could have had Weddingos versus Marsupials in, mm. Hollow- in Howling 3? In Howling 3, then Marsupials. Weddingos. Or Werewallabies. Werewallabies. God damn it, man. We're missing out on this. We're kangaroos. No, that's Tank Girl. That's Tank Girl. Yeah, we've Ice T would have like to have a word with you there, genius. No, what we have is a giant boar. No, we didn't even talk about another like. Why does that big giant lummox seem familiar? And uh, he's hanging out with Bill Mosley. Hog will hunt. I like that. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> he's been saying that the whole ride over here. I was like, okay, it was good the first time, genius. But I now know. you're wearing thin. Yeah, I'll be cool be good but i was thinking like who plays bill mosley's brother-in-law why do i know him that's mm-hmm. a big yoked up dude and i've seen him before mm-hmm. to, to the end of us right sure enough he plays <laughs> rictus erectus from a morton one of a morton joe's son he's the one that's like all bald-headed yoked up so he's over there hanging with bill mosley and once bill well, you've seen it's a spoiler. Spoilers. Once Bill Mosley gets it, I was waiting for him to go to pick up the bond. He's like, I had a baby brother-in-law, and he was perfect in every way, right? I was waiting for that. I was just waiting. I was like, ah, <laughs> right? And this is another one of those movies where, like, this dude takes so much fucking abuse. How is he not dead? The amount of abuse and torture that people can, I guess, I, that outback living. up, yes. It's, that's it's, just it's, it. You have to be rough and rugged to live in the outback. Cause He's 35, cry, which is, like, 72 in Australian age. Fucking even, like, the victims. Like, that one girl who says, like, again, spoilers, who gets the tusk gored through her head. Mm. She's chewed up by a rag doll, and she's still fucking alive. And she's paired with Australian Nick Frost. Yes. Which didn't take me out, but I was like, that's Australian Nick Frost. But the moment... Nicholas Frey's. The the tooth went through the mouth. Practical. It's cool. Brutal. It's cool. And made me react. Now, it should be noted, 
We watched this one separately. We did watch Day of the Animals together, but I audibly reacted Me too. when that moment happened. Me too. And the second that I saw a purely practical pig, giant boar. Practical. Fucking from, shit up. I had the biggest cheese. That's just it. We love us a creature feature, and we love us a creature feature that can go practical. Mm-hmm. And you give me anything that has viscera and what have you dripping from it? Gore and sinew Love and just fucking that. stringy bits Love of meat. Love that. Oh, to show that it's killed and will kill again. It will kill again. Fucking, and the fact that, like, this animal had character blind in one eye, like, scarred up, fucking gnarly, gnarly, tusks. gnarly tusks. It's like this boar has seen some shit. And when they make it react, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it like looks intimidating. Now, that's not to say it's not without some ones and zeros. Right, because to show it running and doing all this shit, I it, mean, it didn't I, take me out of it no, at all. I was like, I understand it's a low-budget Australian film, but at the same time, the amount of cool practical, like, I'll allow it. You, oh. you you wrote a check, and you you still got good credit with me. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take some of that. Even though the CGI, like I said, it didn't take me out of it. No. You could definitely tell that and, it was, not saying it was wonky, but like... That's not as cool as the practical. But if we're, but but if we're looking at like an 80-20 split, yeah. I'm good with that. Oh, absolutely. And you have Bill Mosley, who, let's face it, is genre royalty at this point. He's one of those cats that instantly you go, it's that it's that genre guy. Right. And for him to be very much the, the fish out of water with all the largely Australian cast... But the thing about it, he was kind of the fish out of water, but mostly to the dick of the boyfriend, because the boyfriend was talking shit. Uh, Addictus Erectus was cool with him. Fucking uh, the... uh, Let him call you Robbie. Right, let him call you. He was cool with them. Like, everybody, the the, the mom was definitely cool with them. You know, so like... But he was just, he's just the non-Australian. Non-Australian, right? But But at the same time, that boyfriend, I... Wanted him to go from the get, and every time he opened his mouth, I wanted him to go even more. He gave a very William Zapka in European Vacation performance as that annoying boyfriend that doesn't understand boundaries, can give a shit about like parental interaction, and you are rooting for him to get rutted by the big giant boar. Thank you. Thank you. I was not sitting on that. That came organically. Nice. Um... I think because you do spend a lot of time with Blue and his boy, that little bit where they're out in the back drinking, having by a good the fire, time. yeah, a good night, right? And in fact, I love with the 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 cat the uh, the pub that his daughter runs, the Wereboar Bar takes no shit with everyone. But the fact that it's got, and again, maybe it's a cultural thing that they've got the glassware behind it where you can see through everything. Yeah, it looks a little bit different than what I'm accustomed to with our bars. Mm-hmm. And again. Pass me the torch, mate. Pass me the torch. The torch bit with the flashlight. You got a knife? You know, like, you know, I was waiting. That's not a knife. I've seen you play knifey bory before, <laughs> right? No, but <laughs> no, everything that like, pass me the torch. Well, you, I got fire. You're fine. Yeah, but here's the thing. Blue is right. Like we need to stick together, and or we're both dead. Well, we need to find weapons. Well, you got a knife. We need the bullets. We got fire. Stick together, because when he at least he went out like a G. Yeah, he did. at least he was like, yeah, "All right, come on, you pig!" Right. Same thing with Jeff Jerry. At least he like was trying to save the day. I really thought that he was gonna come in at the end and like, "Crocky, I got this ball right and fucking 
Just wrestling to the ground. You Although we did get boar wrestling. We did get boar wrestling. Yeah, we got boar punching, which I appreciated. Boar goring. Fucking Dictus Erectus was fucking that <laughs> boar up, dude. It was, and because light was hitting off of both of them, it yes, was real. It was real. Cool. cool. And that's what I appreciate, mm-hmm. because I think in any other low-budget feature, they would probably the push would be for CG. But I know the writer and director of this, and when I got a very, I want to say almost like an Adam Green feel with this movie, um, I got to look it up here. I apologize. Well, good old, good old-fashioned Australian outback horror, you know? Well, and the fact that... The, the townies and genre actors. Yeah, and it's written and directed by Chris Sun. That's just it. He's bringing in familiar Australian genre actors. There's a fair amount of humor in the film. It's a lot funny. of practical gore. Yeah. It very it gave me an Adam Green kind of vibe, yeah. especially the fact that when I we did go to a little IMDb research, this dude was only in his 30s when he started but loves horror and is one of those fanboys that just happens to be pretty, you know, talented and therefore and this is one of those movies that was on my radar for quite some time. And I knew doing the Shutter Shout out was like this is the perfect opportunity. In fact, it's something in the air. There are a number of podcasts of uh, YouTube stations talking about boar, animal attack stuff, animal attack April. Oh, uh, we hate movies. Spring is sprung, and that's just it. It's now is the time because we're it's starting animal time. We're going to, and people are going out now. Yeah, like my walks with Charlie are becoming longer. Plus, animal attack movies are rad, and like they should serve as a cautionary tale. You know, we got to treat our, our our furry and feathered friends fine, or they're gonna fuck us up fiercely. Well, should that be a transition into... Uh, no, because okay. I still want to talk about Boar for a little bit. There was some cool shit. I liked when Dictus Directus was singing Ice Ice Baby. It's those little mini character beats that make you love these characters. And when he spikes the camera at a certain point. Listen, when I sing in my car by myself, I sure as shit know when you sing in the car by yourself... You play to the entire audience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The cheap seats are getting a good show. People in the front are getting a good show. Dude, that's my whole motif. Everybody's going to get a good show. If I'm audience of one, audience of 100, everybody's going to get a good show, especially when one of my songs comes on. But this is what gave me programming remorse because I realized your pre-show didn't have Ice Ice Baby. Ice Ice Baby. Right? Or even like a trailer for Cool as Ice. Ah, get with the drop the zero, get with a hero. Come mm-hmm. on, or at least a ninja rap, something. Right, him being dangled off the balcony by Shook Knight. Something, something with vanilla something ice. With vanilla ice. Even Jim Carrey has vanilla ice. <laughs> I wonder if there's an Australian vanilla ice. It's probably like Vegemite ice. Well, what if we had Canadian vanilla ice with a uh, uh, snow? Right. Yeah. In down. That's awful. Fucking, I loved it. Greg um, is almost getting drunk. <laughs> uh, the practical was great. The kills. Um, let's see the bar dick when he comes in. Oh, Shayla, I want to go fuck her. And then like, she don't take no shit. Again, you like these characters yeah. when the old drunk is talking about like I saw a boar out in the out back ten years ago, biggest boar I ever seen. Him thing, his whole thing about dropping is like he's apparently run through the town naked like this, several times. The size of a rhino it was so, taken from Razorback. Uh huh. There are, I'd like to think homages. To Razorback in this movie, from lines quoted to just the 
general fact that it's a giant it's a giant boar. fucking boar, yeah. But uh, another Mad Max cameo that happens at the very beginning of the film, we got Goose himself as the prickly dude that just drives on by everyone yeah. that they just make mention of, and then he drives away out of our life. But that twelve was seconds in, hey, there's Goose. So it's get out, Goose. It's basically hitting every kind of character actor outside of a Mel Gibson mm-hmm. to make this a true osploitation film. When you have that many genre actors, no matter what world you're in, no matter what part of the world you're in, you know that that writer-director, which they, who this guy is, loves the genre. And when it comes to a creature feature, mm-hmm. it fucking shows, <laughs> especially in horror, and especially if you can make it practical and cool as they, they did. I had a blast with this movie. I... And I know people are going to bitch, because they always bitch. And I know uh, (laughs) people, the story was dumb, and the the practical wasn't that good, and fucking the uh, CGI was goofy. Yes, the CGI was goofy, but at the same time, for a low-budget horror, it was great. And the worst thing you can do is, after you view something on Shudder, is to wander through the comments section. Just don't do it. It is one of those things that will just kill your buzz, because I... Legitimately, I kind of loved this movie. This movie's I, I had a, I, li- I I love the subgenre of animal attack yeah. movies anyway, especially when there's not a lot of real animal comeuppance, right? And the fact that the very end, when the daughter comes out of nowhere and slams, I thought Damn. it was Rictus again. I thought it was Rictus. I even thought it was Jed Jarrett because we really never you see love, yeah. him. Not, I want and again, again with, with fucking Dictus Erectus. He is like a fucking Rolex watch. Rolex. He can take a licking and keep on ticking, right? Because like. He got gored. His guts are hanging out. But here's my beef with boar. Mm. Here's my roast beast beef. Because I thought we were kind of Stephen King approved. I thought we were Stephen King approved too. But no, the kid lives to see the day. First off, I said it before and I'll say it again. If you're going to have the balls to fuck up a kid, fuck those kids up. Go walk, go through with it. We will give and you the stay respect. stay with it. Don't be a coward. I'm not saying this movie's a coward. You know what? But you chicken they out. They went the War of the Worlds route with this one. That's a little bit of a bummer when the kid makes it back at the very end with Tom Cruise. Yeah. You're like, come on. I need some kid comeuppance. It's like if Steven Yang came up out of, out of nope, okay. Just like with a couple of scuffs. Oh, got out of that jean jacket all right, you know? Like, come on, dude. No, man, no. Right? So, like, <clears throat> no. I can I can kind of suspend my disbelief with Dictus Erectus because that guy's giant. He's, yeah. Even though his guts were hanging out, it is the Australian Outback. Oh, it's for just a nick. Hey, we're sending this on from me mum. He's like Sisu. Sisu. He can die. He, he just, just refuses, refuses to. to. <laughs> right? But that fucking kid, he should have got off. Yeah. The boyfriend got off great. All the other campers got off great. The fucking scene when the boar is all up in the tent and fucking that, uh, fucking with the uh, Australian Shannon Elizabeth, like it was, I was like, "This is good and stuff." The aftermath when you see was them great in pieces. Oh, that Sheila, she was just a little gal, and poor oh. Blue's like, "What's going on? You're my boy, Blue. You're it's my effective. boy. It's effective." And mm-hmm. that's the little bits of that between the character interaction, the practical gore, right? Big giant monster. This was a genuine surprise. It was a treat, man. It was a fucking great little. I'm movie. kind of, I'm again, I'm a little upset we didn't watch this one together, <laughs> mm. but. I am absolutely 
unequivocally glad we watched Day of the Animals together. Let me get out my notes for this one because... You (laughs) motherfucker, this movie was wild. Some moments in this 1977 PG movie. Okay, but let's do this caveat. We're saying how fucking great and stuff this is. Your mileage may vary as we saw. (laughs) Not everybody might be on board with Day of the Animals. Because there's so I when I go when I give a lecture on um, persuasive speaking, I talk about cognitive dissonance <laughs> and the idea of instilling this feeling of awkwardness and just negativity and badness when you are confronted with images that interact and conflict with previous held beliefs. And so, for many people, most a, a generation of people, a huge a swath. Leslie Nielsen is a comedic god that is deadpan, is serious, is just, again, the fart joke guy. I mean, he but is just that guy. can be the goofiest from Naked Gun to Mr. Magoo to Dracula Dead and Loving It to fucking Spy Hard. He, when it came to parody and goof movies, that was his bread and mm-hmm. butter. However... For a lot of people who don't realize, before he was goofy, he was a serious genre actor in the vein of uh, 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 Harry Dean Stanton or fucking Saxon. He's very much a character actor. I mean, he was just... But with good looks. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Chussle. A lot of good chussle. He fit that. He fit that mode. Chussle, rugged. Deep voice, very serious and deadpan, can be very threatening, but also cool and romantic at the same time. And it wasn't until really the 80s that he really exploded and was able to embrace what he became. Yeah, he goes, I want to be funny. Because he has always been funny from what I've heard. And therefore, that's our way to apologize if this ruins any of you for Leslie Nielsen, because we are used to it because... Creepshow. Creepshow. Right. Exactly. He's a bad guy in Creepshow. We can hold our breath for, for a, a long, long time. time because of Leslie Nielsen. I appreciate Cable more because of Leslie Nielsen right? and Creepshow. Waterproofing <laughs> is important when it comes to Leslie Nielsen. Having a killer bachelor pad, you know, is a big thing with Leslie Nielsen and Creepshow, but also him being a bastard. In creep show, mm-hmm. a horrible guy. Now, right when we think he's a bastard in in creep show, he's a bastard in this movie. But speaking of bastards in this movie, if anybody knows about, <laughs> if anybody can be a judge about bastards, this is the perfect movie for him to be a bastard because we have the queen of the bastard herself, Linda Day George, in this as well, and along with Christopher George, of course, because we're Linda and Christopher goes they shall not be separated they were the package deal and genre back mm-hmm. in the day and it worked and i didn't realize they were in it so when we're watching the movie yes. that's the first rick because all we know we is had. leslie nielsen yes and, and you know what honestly i seen this movie way back <laughs> on like 41 because it came on after kung fu theater but i was like six so i wouldn't it could this was almost an i've it's 100 basically it's it, basically uh, and fresh but like it came on because in back in the day the movie was probably only ten years old, yep. and there was and it was PG, so they didn't so have to, really have to ed- edit it anything. And the fact that like you could show pretty much everything in this, you movie. you throw in a Ray Adams commercial or two, you have it, you have it. It would have been perfect. Upside down in your car, fucking Model T Fords flipping right between okay. Leslie Nielsen's getting all rapey. We flipped. 
when we realized, and I guarantee when you were six, you could have cared less about Ruth Roman. But when Ruth Roman's name came up, we both looked at each other and were like, wait. Why do we know that name? Is that, is wait, that, is is that, that the that... mom from the baby? To the Imdaba? Holy shit, it is! And the Leslie second... doesn't walk. <laughs> Leslie doesn't duck. <laughs> and the second she showed up, we're like, that's her. Because she's like, when are we going to go to the store? Why did my husband leave me with this child I didn't want? The only child I really wanted was taken by that damn social worker after she killed all my daughters and left me for dead. <laughs> <laughs> go back to a, a previous Shutter shout out where we experienced the baby for the first. And it's left an impression on us, ladies and gentlemen. I love that movie. But then another nice little Rick Dalman moment is this movie is scored by Lalo Schifrin. Mm-hmm. And he is another one from the, the Warriors to Enter the Dragon. Very prolific. He's one of those. He's a that guy of composers. Of composers. Because you might not be like, you might not instantly hear like, oh, that's a Lalo Schifrin score. Like you would with anybody else except for Goldsmith. Boom, 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 boom. Right? That's like, what the fuck? Anywho, tangent. Well, I will say this, though. I just watched The Manitou for the first time recently, so anyone on our Nightmare Junkhead, I've seen that, uh, or I should say Squidly Diddler Above, will hear my thoughts on that. Lalo Schifrin also did the score for that. Mm -hmm. He's all over the 70s. Everywhere. And from PG-rated horror to R-rated horror to sci-fi, his sounds, and actually even the sound design, because this movie is all built around the intimidating presence of animals and how... As we are animal lovers, multiple moments in this movie, I'm like, I don't know, man. That's uh, I I think Charlie would turn against me under the bathing of this like. Okay, this is a ca- we got to start caution. off. From this the, is a environmental. I was not expecting environmental horror, but it makes sense with animal attack movies. Something's got to provoke them, certainly, right? But from the get, big old tech crawl. This is what could happen. Stop your shit yes. now, right? And it was like, God damn. You know, this is, and, and, and sure enough, throughout the movie, there's a hole in the ozone layer. It's causing shit to go wacky. Get out of there. And even the light, when it is shown, has this weird J.J. Abrams yeah, lens flare lens going, on. going on. But it is effective because you're like, there's something wrong with the sun. Well, three years earlier, in 1974, with Tobey Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. they talk about the solar flares. Well, and then isn't it about a year earlier? That's what they caused the happy birthday, uh, to uh, birthday, oh, bloody in birthday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's all about why we should be taking care of Mother Nature. Or they're going to fuck us yeah, up. Yeah, because she naturally will take care of us if we just give a modicum of respect, right? Boundaries, but right? No, we are no. habitual line steppers. We are habitual line steppers, and I like movies like this because it's it like proves it. Happens. You know, and especially people. Oh, I don't like animals. And although, if I die, or I mean, if I if daily animals happens, you know, my cats are fucking killing me. You know, that's what's gonna happen. Maybe they might pause for a minute mm-hmm. and be like, "It's dad. We <laughs> love them, but you know, I like to think that they would protect me from other animals initially." Initially. Before they give in to, to the, the solar radiation. flares, yeah, and happens. then they get hungry. It happens. Yeah. Genie, they call them animals for a reason. Right. But, of course, we'll find initially it's not so much the animals at the worst. We'll get to we'll get to that. So we get initially this bird presence. The leader of the animals is this fucking eagle. eagle. And it's 
cool because he's like a presence throughout the, the movie. That initial shot with the with Day of the Animals, the title sequence with him in the background. Oh, it's cool. Side of the van. It's cool. It was. It actually. It, he was kind of Coscarellian in Beastmaster esque in a lot of ways as yeah. well. Waiting for Dar to come out. I needed Dar to like keep things under control. Hey, hey, hey! What's going on? I got this. Fucking Brave Star because we got all of the Brave Star. Marshall Brave Star could have saved the day because he does have like Speed of the Puma. I mean, he's like Brave Star, Brave, Brave Star. Star, Eyes of the Hawk, Ears, Ears of the Wolf. wolf. Brave star, brave star, strength of the bear, speed of the puma, and we had all, all those animals and more, and more. That's just it. With with boar, we just get one, one animal. animal, one giant animal. In this one, we get all the animals. And see, with <laughs> boar, you'll never find my fucking fat, tasty ass out in the outback, ready to be <laughs> snacked on, right? But in this and day of the animals, I'm fucked. I'm fuck i can't leave my house because my cats will get me i can't i can't i can't have ham in the middle of the night like i normally do because fucking the goddamn rats so mm. if any of you know the show if any of you have watched a shutter shout out or two you know one of genius's aversions is our little furry rodent friends called the rat the mouse the mice it does not matter they give him the williest of the willies and to see him react and listen I am no stranger to night ham, be it night turkey, night roast. Night ham! <laughs> but the scritching, to see him react physically, ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between, uh. it's joyous. Uh. I have had the privilege of watching of, known, of unknown origin in a backyard with him and Mother Nature with bats, intervened with, bats. with a little leaf that he thought was a bat. And to see him get up and run around was incredible. So from night ham to jumping, the jumping fucking rats. fucking jumping, and it was like 3D jumping. It was, it was awesome. It was cool looking, but it was also terrifying. I know my legs went up in the air. I uh. did like the babysitter and all the Tom and Jerry cartoons, which is like, that legs up in the couch and like, ah! Ah, because one, I felt bad for the ham because it's like, no, not night ham, right? And then two, (laughs) rats all over it, ready to like pounce, jumping, attacking rats. Fuck all that noise. It would have been one thing if they were just devouring the night ham. Then you would have been like, all right, cool. But they're like, ah, no, fuck you. And And they're going straight for the face. Ah, they need... As much as I would, I think they don't need to remake this. I would love to see them remake this and like let the animals just go. But no, the problem, no, the problem, the problem is it all be CG genius. That's true, and that's one thing. These are real animals fucking people up constantly from the wolf attack on the face. Oh, the wolf attack freaked me out. (laughs) I, I actually did react because again, it's good animal wrangling, good animal acting. And real animal interactions going on, so you know, ideally, they're it's having trainer, fun, playing with their with their pet. We're throwing stuff in afterwards, right? But it is all in camera, and it's all attacks, and it's real animals. And you're like, they're sleeping, just sleeping back, and this goddamn wolf is treating him like a chew toy. Har! And the 
when the eagle coordinates the attack with the cougars and the pumas. No, we that that's crazy too. But fucking the birds. The bird. When all the birds. When all the bird. First of all, that's disturbing as fuck. When all different types of birds are just flying or hanging out with each other, just looking. watching, just watching you. That's that's horrible. Unnerving. That's, that's unnerving. Nightmarish. Right. The second of all, when the birds finally attack. One of the girls that got the the one that got attacked by the wolf, and she survived. She she's like, oh, we're gonna go for help. She's walking on a cliff. Here comes the bird. A bunch of different birds come, and they don't push her off the cliff. No, no, they fucking pick her up, drag her ass kicking and screaming over the cliff. And when the boyfriend's trying, trying to help her out, they're like, fuck you, fuck you. She's, she's ours, going, right? She's He's like, ah. and <laughs> it should be noted. The per- the girl that goes off the cliff, that's Chrissy from Jaws. Yep. So she got first she got attacked by a shark, then she got attacked by fucking birds. She's been so cast she's type. Fucked on land, sea, and air. <laughs> she's fucked. We need somebody to play the first victim. I got you. We got it. We got. We know the. What person. are you? Gonna, what, am I being killed by animals? Yep. Oh, even better. My wheelhouse. Right. And it was genuinely kind of unsettling it was and yes after the cgi a little bit of the computer special effects from back then came in to show the fall it was goofy and hokey but at the same time one another time another place and also like it's low budget (laughs) so whatever and it was only that part because again again like in Boar, the practical outweighed oh, the, the CGI. In this one, the practical, the actual real animals outweighed all the puppets and the like. The well, sports perspectives, and, and stuff. I do love. We get all of that in the Puma attack because from them fighting them with fire, from throwing the puppet to the Pumas actually interacting with the people. Which again, I have to assume if they're playing. But then they add but, this stuff later on. Yeah. Oh. It looks fierce. And they're real fucking pumas. And there's three of them. Three of them. It's not one puma attack. Oh, no. It's three. And as it's, a multi-cat owner, I can't even imagine the poor wrangler that has to deal with multiple pumas. That's fucked up. Well, but those I, are beautiful creatures, and I kind of wanted one. Well, but not if it fucked my face up. Anything that has ears like that is just a first sign indicator that you know what? They're probably best in the wild. They're not meant to be domesticated. Right, right. Yeah. Although, like, but, <laughs> but like, so then, so another fucking animal attack. The fucking the, all the snakes. I know that's going to be a lot of triggers for people. A lot of spiders mm-hmm. are going to be triggers mm-hmm. for people. This crosses the gamut. All gam animals. It's the only thing we didn't see is fish attack people. But like, I kind of wanted to see like you know somebody at like sea rolled me. Like meanwhile, mean though during the whole oh, movie, no. yep, right? I swear. <laughs> well, meanwhile, sea roll. Behold, Shamu and all of his glory. Boom! They're fucking people up. Fucking everybody's freaking out at SeaWorld. You mentioned petting zoos. Petting zoos nightmare. are gone night on gone haywire. You're Kids go are being King attacked. Right? Fucking like pet stores have gone amok. People are running around in the mall. Like, like just all these animals everywhere. Fucking gator farms. Florida's gone. Florida's gone. Florida's gone. Right? So like, no, I can imagine all this shit, and I'm fucking loving it. Well, loving it. It turns out. Genius, there is something more frightening than animals. The, no, that is man. The man is the most dangerous animal. Man will, f- <laughs> man is so. 
Leslie Nielsen says some of the most heinous, just again, another time, another place shit that you will hear. Because, first of all, it starts off straight up predator because he's giving that thing something out there in the woods, and there ain't no man. Our Native American character. Native American. Yeah, we're shedding a tear on that one as someone throws some uh, litter our way. Yeah, he's very much in the. It's a trope. It exists. Some people played into it. Some people didn't. They played into it. And you know what, though? He's one of the more... He's the character I was rooting for. I wanted he's him a moral to make it through. Right. Yes, He's absolutely. one of the people. He's the hero. And but uh, yeah, he's the reason. He's giving. He's getting a lot of shit oh. from Lieutenant Frank Drebin. <laughs> and yeah. it is it's, not pleasant. It's, 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 it's very PG, but it's also it's very 70s PG. A lot of chemo sobbies. Oh yeah, a lot of like, and just he's just and Leslie Nielsen, just consistently just dickery and drink every time he calls someone hot shot, <laughs> hot shot. You and your fucked up plan, your goofy cockamamie plan. What did he say? You're a real mosher or something like that. He speaks it's bee- ad business. Talk. Yeah, I, we don't know it, genius. We're not in that world, right? But the world I do know is genre. And when animals start attacking, and when people's confidence in their tour guide starts eroding, and you got di- di- division, yeah, alpha male syndrome. Oh, Christ Almighty! Right. And when he starts leading Ruth Roman, my boy, don't mutant, take my boy, mutant boy, and a number of other folks back to the watchtower, I believe. Because everyone, there's a nice moment in this movie where we see a town being evacuated, <laughs> a la like the crazies or something like that, where it is, it's affecting everyone and everything. And it turns out the sun is also affecting the people because we see Leslie Nielsen in a way I have not seen him before. Shirtless. Shirtless. And at a certain point when they are just being rained upon and we find out he's going for the God of Melville, which is a righteous God, which is where you take what you want. And when he... I want that. When he bests that kid with his walking stick. He goes for the kill right off. Does not hesitate. No. Not a bonk, not a clank. Not a nothing, just a stab. Straight up. Straight up. I killed for you, and now you're my property. Fucking okay, Morton Joe, right? So another tangent on right? So no, but um, it's crazy. And, like, there's an and, attempted rape. Go on and try and kill me. And, Baby doesn't rape, right? And this is about the time where Mount Baldy, Dustin himself, came in. And he's like, what is this? And we mentioned like, it. Come on, this movie's great. It's got Leslie Nielsen. He's, like, he's like, all right. Oh. And... His journey. Was that a blood? Did he have a blood rage moment? He may have because he was audibly not annoyed but disaffected by what he was seeing with Leslie Nielsen. It was Frank Drebin performing these horrible things. He just had this sour look on his face. I felt bad for him. Me too. Meanwhile, we're like, oh, baby doesn't walk. We're cracking jokes, having a blast. I, genius. I felt like the monster this time. My God. It was awful. Good. Welcome to my world. Soon your training will be complete. <laughs> we, but, but it gives us 
probably the best moment in the movie because we're hoping that something interrupts this assault scene. Right. Someone has something, to intervene. Something because Christopher George and Susan Saint they're, are, they're miles down away. The line, yeah. Miles away, right? Fucking, and we're teased to bear because earlier oh, yeah. in the thing, because we were like, hey, it's Brave Star, because we made the Brave Star joke because there's pumas, the puma goes by, there's wolves, there's hawk, and I'm like, well, fuck, all they need is a bear, and sure enough, shuffling in, here comes a bear. So we're like, okay, at some point in time, we need a bear attack. If if, if the animals are us, trainer guy has a bear. And in 2023, we got a cocaine, cocaine bear. bear, right? So bears are no so, and gr- from the director of Grizzly. of Grizzly. Yes. So of course we're gonna bears. have a bear, even if it's fucking footage from one of his movies. It's gonna there's gonna be a goddamn bear. So so sure enough, here comes the rape scene. Oh, you can't fucking kill me. He you what did he he, he you calls her a Beverly Hills uh, Beverly you bitch. Beverly Hills bitch. You and your mutant son, right? <laughs> he's just talking. He's talking shit on fucking everybody. Everyone. And I am here for it because it's reprehensible shit. And you don't expect that to come no. out of Frank Drebin. <laughs> the only thing you expect him is like, la, da, 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 farting and shit, right? So he's like, I'm going to take what I want. Oh, come here, baby. I'm going to show you what a real man is, right? Here comes Ruth Roman. Come on, you bitch. Try and kill me. We you. get a second where she's going to go like Conan on him with a giant Baby doesn't rock. rape, right? Conk, right? Drebin doesn't rape. Drebin doesn't kill, right? So we were waiting for that. He talks her down. Do it. I was waiting for the son mm-hmm. to come up and do something. Because he's like, don't hurt my mama. Who's going to help this poor lady from Lieutenant Frank Drebin Rape Squad? It's CSI. SI. Uh, special special investigations, right? And so, uh, fucking, who, who's going to pair up? The big bear from fucking uh, Great Outdoors. Yes, Ben, yes. Yes, Ben, yes. Raw. Normally, and sure enough, they're like, ah, so she's going to run off. Normally, a normal person, when they see a bear attack or a bear come in there, they're going to like, ah, and they run away. Not shirtless, rapey no. Leslie Nielsen all amped up and ready to go. He fucking gets up. He's like, come on, you bear. He fucking Charges. charges at him. He doesn't even wait. He's like, ah, and charges at him. Sure enough, the bear is just fucking him up, just it's, bear hugging him and tearing uh, him up. And I'm like, this is great. Yep. Meanwhile, we're like having a good time. Hey, this is great, <laughs> isn't it? What do you think, dude? He's having a shining moment like, oh, oh. <laughs> it was horrible. And I'm over so there fucking, it's him. wonderful. This is marvelous. I'm so uh, sorry, dude, but this is glorious. Was the capper at that point with this character. That- and then the bear just shuffles away. I fucked that dude up. Right. <laughs> So <laughs> advertisers go down a little easier. No one bad man, mad man, right? And so, oh my god! Next thing you know, we see helicopter attacks, fucking flying out of the sky, fucking wild dogs. The wild dogs is a sourdough dogs. moment. They're trying to escape. They're going on this thing. These dogs, these fucking dogs, are jumping into the rapids out of the thing. And like, remember that? Remember in sourdough when he's like, "Oh, you were gonna go down the rapids," and then you see that poor dog fucking eat it in the rapids, right? No animals are harmed in the making of this movie. We didn't get that in this one. But, of course, another time, another place, I'm sure everything was fine. I'm hoping everything was fine. If not, not Mick Garris. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Clovis, R.I.P. Right? So, no, these two dogs, I don't even think it was supposed to happen. They, no, Because I think they like were supposed was... to jump on, the humans were supposed to jump on the thing, but no. Roo, 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 we're going for a ride. And you could tell they were happy because their tails were oh, wagging and shit. And it was more charming, though. But at the same time, <laughs> these poor fucking wild dogs, oh. they're over there like, Rrr. next thing you know, we see them off the rapids. They're still hanging on for dear life. No fucking dogs. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> no animals are hard in the making of this movie. Fuck it, uh, we're gonna. We might need to have a, a discretion on here. We hope no we animals hope no are harmed. <laughs> Last uh, thing we want is Sarah McLaughlin coming knocking on our door. <laughs> Heard you've been talking shit. You know, just there with a lead pipe, fucking just ready. <laughs> and she's she's like fucking Jane Silent bobbing it. Are you genius, McGee? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, send you in the arms of the angels now, bitch. Right? Fucking just getting on it. All because we're laughing at Leslie Nielsen wrestling a bear. That's the, that's the, that's just it though. We were having way too much fun. I think. so fun. But then fun's over because all we see is dead humans and dead animals. All oh these God. dead animals and all these dead humans. It looked like goddamn maximum overdrive. It and really that's when did. my mind really went. Yep. Right. Meanwhile. Right. Oh, man, I felt uh, so bad for everybody involved, humans and animals alike, except Leslie Nielsen, because, like, he was an asshole. <laughs> you know what, who I don't feel bad for? For us, because that was way too enjoyable. That was... That was great. You know what, I won't lie, this was a double feature that I needed. This was a, hopefully a double feature that I hope worked for you all, because I damn sure know it worked for both of us. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, fi other thoughts, final thoughts on Day of the Animals? I'm going to see this movie again. <laughs> I, like, we've been discussing, we would really love to show this as a Friday Night Fright. 70 September, man. Maybe back to back with the baby. The baby. Just so you can get the a baby. Ruth doesn't want double crap feature. Wow. Adam, we're going to hold you to this. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. So it should be noted, we've already been looking into a maze. We know what one is. We just got to figure out what the second one is. And. Let's just say the one we know has actually participated in our Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. A lot of movies have those, so you got to figure out what that is to uh, narrow it down. But no, this was a blast. Uh, I <laughs> I'm just still reeling from everything we experienced. We hope you all enjoyed it. So until our next shutter shutout, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee, and we will see you in your dreams. consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that ponders the sound made if the wonder bread bus and the oscar meyer wienermobile collided together my name is greg and on today's patreon only episode i've seen that challenge finds me inadvertently filling a number of gaps as i drink and dance my way through 1986's Modern Girls. And if you are listening in, thank you 
for being one of the rowdy regulars that help make up our Nightmare Junkhead film family. If any of you had come up to me and asked, hey, Greg, what do you think about that flick Modern Girls? I go, oh, uh, that's one of those crazy adventures all happening in one night with uh, Clayton Roner. Yeah, I've seen that. And quite honestly, it didn't take a crazy journey to get me to watch uh, Modern Girls, but there was definitely a process, and that process started uh, with the evils that is social media, and one of the things that was happening on Twitter at the time was taking a shot of a, of a TV series that uh, the current generation would have no idea what it is. And of course, this is a chance for you know all of us you know, elitists and snobs to try to find the most obscure TV series that's out there. But what's funny with that, though, is you start getting and looking at a lot of the stuff that was put out in either the 80s or the 90s or the aughts on, the t- on television, and especially with the advent of, you know, USA and TBS and characters wanted, uh, you see a number of kind of weird and wild television, sh- television shows. And I, myself, was... Uh, I couldn't not succumb to the call, uh, so I threw out something from the USA Network back in the day, uh, but a little show called uh, G versus E, i.e. good versus evil, and the reason I was even interested in that show was it did contain one Clayton Roner, and Clayton Roner is no stranger to this feed, uh, I did talk a little film called Destroyer that he was featured in. And he is just one of those character actors. Uh, our love of character actors on the show. But he's just one of those cats that when he shows up, I'm I'm all in. I He has never proved me wrong with a film he's in or his performance. He is just one of those actors that just always brings his A-game, and I've just always really dug him and really, you know, promoted a lot of this stuff. I mean, his turn in just one of the guys as Rick Morehouse, you know, his his delivery of Cindy Lauper is something that I will always say and throw people off, and I'm sorry, and it's, it's like, I'm sorry, but it's just the way Rick Morehouse delivered it that one time, and I've got to do it as well. So when he showed up on G versus Z, I'm like, sweet, I'm in, and then of course... Marshall Bell's featured in this, so uh, throw it out there. But uh, I was then listening to an episode of Junk Food Cinema. Uh, It was actually their latest, well, latest episode. I think this is coming out sometime in July. It should be noted, this is, I'm recording this on June 18th. Uh, A lot of these get banked out just because, you know, I'm watching a lot of movies. But I was listening to the latest Junk Food Cinema podcast, and it did feature uh, Scott Weinberg on. And they somehow or another, the conversation turned to Clayton Roner, and I'm walking Charlie. Uh, specifically, I was down uh, at the city market and got a little pep in my step. And I'm like, hey, they're talking about my boy. And Scott Weinberg mentioned this film called Modern Girls that he's really good in. And that's really all that was mentioned. They were just, you know, going along, st- staying on topic. But I was like, okay. Make a note. 
a film from the 1980s featuring Clayton Roner called Modern Girls that you have no idea what it is. So this is perfect for this feed. This is perfect for this philosophy. And this film is kind of perfect for the year it came out in, in 1986, as this film is very, very 1980s. In fact, I'm not quite sure what the overall budget of the movie is, but I imagine at least three quarters of it had to have gone to all the hairspray and especially the, 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 the scene with the, the, the new wave, the new wave punk club and venue. My God, it's just this. And like, I love me some, you know, big hair, especially if you get a, a cramp or a crimp in there, the Crampton crimp, I'm all for it. And the movie is very, very eighties. Just know that in advance. But then like any good, you know, entry of the, I've seen that challenge. got to have multiple Rick Dalton moments. And the first Rick Dalton moment came via the credits. As I knew going in advance, this features one Clayton Roner. He's the reason I came in to watch modern girls, but he's, he's not one of the modern girls. No, we have a triumvirate of modern ladies here, starting with one I wasn't familiar with. And that is Cynthia Gibb who plays Cece, who I'll be honest, kind of it's her movie and a lot of her journey and she was one of my favorite parts of the movie as her performance as Cece. And a lot of it just comes from she seems genuine, even though they're trying to manipulate. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, is it Cliffy that, you know, you, we need to take you for on a ride. But she's just got good, good energy. But then. First Rick Dalton moment, because this went by uh, alphabetical, is we've got Virginia Madsen in this film. And this is 1986 Virginia Madsen. And this is when she was still doing the, the, the boner kind of jams. I understand she did one with, I think, Timothy Hutton that was a just a bad beat and she was kind of soured her. But I understand then ideally... The fact that it was written by Laurie Craig and written by Anita Rosenberg, that having the, the the woman connection on that made it a little bit easier because this this movie has been done many times over where you got usually like three dudes getting together and going and getting into shenanigans. But instead of the three dudes, we get three gals and we go on some gal shenanigans. Now, the, the third member here, and a, still no stranger to this feed... Uh, we get the great Daphne Zuniga in this, and you can go back to my thoughts on her performance in The Initiation, uh, an interesting first-time viewing, and technically a Christmas movie. Might show up as Christmas with the nerds, but I was like, oh, awesome. Freaking Daphne Zuniga, Virginia Madsen, and Clayton Roner in my 80s movie. Let's do this. And we we do this quite a bit, in fact, I hope you enjoy Clayton Roner because you're getting him quite a bit as both uh, Cliffy and our rock star, Bruno X. And Bruno X, from the moment I saw the music video, I'm like, wait a second. 
Clayton Roner's pulling double duty. This is perfect. And, and no one mentions the fact that he looks a lot like him, looks exactly like him, just more. He's he's channeling a lot of Rick Morehouse in Cliffy in this performance. In fact, there's a number of parallels that happen in this movie where I'm like, well, shit, you know, this would play perfect as a double feature with just one of the guys, but then you're also going to go, well, hey, just one of the guys just one of the guys did come out a year before this film. So the stuff that they're pulling from, maybe they were just trying to get and pull in some of that just one of the guys heat. It it exists. It is out there. But his performance as Bruno X and the way he is portrayed, he's he's not a bad character. He's actually kind of heartfelt. But I totally got a little bit of a a kids in the vibe, kids in the hall vibe, especially in um brain candy. When you've got Bruce McCullough playing that one Danzig-esque artist, he kind of had that kind of vibe going on. And that's fine because it totally worked and it totally served the purpose of the story as the movie is, again, one of those films where a lot of stuff happens in one night. Crazy shenanigans. Uh, Just go back to um, the recent entry of um, Thank God It's... Hopefully some of you out there said it. But this, and there's a number of entries in this movie, so I didn't realize this was one of those films. So I'm like, boom, filling again, so many gaps getting filled in via this screening. But then the out of credit Rick Dalton moments happen by the people that weren't mentioned via the credits, but they show up. And first and foremost, for a brief part, in fact, he shows up at the very beginning of the film as he's the one that fires. CC, if I remember right. And uh, anytime Mark Holton shows up, you know, out somewhere out there, Genius is going, Francis. And Francis is sporting a mustache in this film. Fires her. And so it's a hello, Francis. And goodbye, Francis. Also, and this is some carryover, obviously, from just one of the guys, uh, but we got Stu Charno showing up as a nerd. Uh, playing pool, and I'm going to get to that pool scene here in a second because that the, this movie could have taken a turn that I was like, oh, no. But then, finally, going, hey, that person looks really familiar. And then I, I admitted I had to go to the Imdaba, but I was like, holy shit, that's Pamela Springsteen as one of the friends. So you have Angela from Sleepaway Camp 2s and 3, uh, also in... I believe, um, oh, good Lord, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So I've got all the Rick Dalton moments checked. And indeed, a lot of shenanigans all in one night, all going out to these clubs and trying to find someone. It's the eternal, it's what the young people do. It's what the middle-aged people do. It's what the elderly people do. You know, everyone's out there trying to couple up and find that right one or right right now, apparently, as I think as an old Robin Williams gag. But there's a moment in this movie where Virginia Madsen has just taken a pill of some sort and she's feeling it and she's on this pool table writhing around and this crew of, we'll just call them rednecks, come in and they move Stu Charno's nerd character out of the way she had been stroking the pool cue in a very uh, 
evocative way earlier. But this movie starts tiptoeing into what I was scared, what I was afraid to be, into accused territory. From a freaking pool table to a pinball machine. That is a movie I, I only watched one time. It terrified me. It traumatized me. And as this movie is picking up, I'm like, oh my God, are, are we going to go in this kind of route into this wacky? Because this is 1986, so another time, another place warning. We know just two years before with Revenge of the Nerds, things can take a turn with this kind of stuff. But we go from the accused to a wacky kind of men in black scenario where you then have Cliffy and the crew come in posing as these agents that there's this big toxic uh, breakout. Uh, Virginia Madsen's character is patient zero. I had to take a breath and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. That was very bizarre, but I guess technically fitting in a way with a film from the eighties like this. Uh, This is one I had absolutely no idea that it existed. And I pride myself in a lot of these weird movies like this, but I guess, you know, technically, you know, trying to be not a Clayton Roner completionist, but a Clayton Roner enthusiast, uh, you know, little things like this are a blast to find. So to be or not to be, to be on this one. Uh, So thanks to them, I can now truthfully say, Modern Girls? I've seen that. Weaving in and out of your consciousness, like a bad dream you can't wake from, This is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that acknowledges the very apparent line between a cool uncle and a creepy uncle. My name is Greg, and on today's Patreon-only episode, I've seen that challenge finds me doubling down on Jennifer Jason Lee as I head to the club and get weird with 1988's Heart of Midnight. And if you are listening in, Thank you for being one of the radical ravers that helped make up our Nightmare Junkhead film family. And if any of you had uh, danced over to me and said, uh, hey, Greg, what do you think about uh, Heart of Midnight? I go, oh, that's that uh, Jennifer Jason Lee doing a little hider in the house. I've seen that. And admittedly, <clears throat> I was coming s- fresh, straight off of my... Uh, viewing first time viewing of Kansas City. Uh, go back to last episode where I do indeed talk that. Excuse me, but I was very much inspired to follow that up by filling in the old Jennifer Jason Lee gap as her performance as Blondie just stayed with me, and I was like, okay, this is the time. Let's see. Let's throw out to the streamers. And see what is, number one, freely available based on what I am subscribed to. So I had some parameters as I didn't want to actually purchase anything in this case. And that's to say, this time around, 
Uh, we will not be sharing my first time viewing of Single White Female. I cannot wait. I know so much of the film. Just never seen it front to back. And then the other one is the uh, Hudsucker Proxy. And that's another one I know so much of, but just never experienced front to back. <clears throat> so made my way uh, to be or to not to be to be in this case. I simply searched for Jennifer Jason Lee. Now, amongst my other parameters is I needed the film to be at least 90 minutes uh, at most 90 minutes for the most part. I was going a little bit later, had the possibility of maybe dozing off if the movie wasn't really grabbing me. So in goes Jennifer Jason Lee in the search engine. Up comes a number of films. And it was kind of cool in a way. Admittedly, I was drawn to one particular cover. Well, no, technically, there's another one that is on the line, or I should say that is on the list. In fact, it's been on the list for some time, and that is um, Miami Blues, which pairs her up against, if I remember right, Alec Baldwin. So eventually we'll get to that screening, and I'll be able to uh, feel at home with my brother in chest hair. But in this case, though, this one stood out. Uh, it has Jennifer Jason Lee donning this very striking dress. She's smoking. It, dare I say, it looks a little ribald. And it's like, okay. And it, hour and 33, which means we're done in under 90 minutes as it is. There, you know, a lot of time for credits. Let's see what is Heart of Midnight. And that is to say, I knew nothing going on in this film. And a lot of times, I'll give myself the first five minutes to really feel something out. And if it wasn't really getting me, then I just, you know what? Let's just go. Let's go to Miami. Let's get that one. Knock that one out. But in this case, right off the bat, you should know this movie does kind of come with a rape assault warning on this one. There is a scene in here. Of which involves strangely, uh, weirdly enough, in this case, talk about cognitive dissonance. I in and it wasn't in the credits, but when he shows up, you're like, oh, well, this is now a Jennifer Jason Lee, Steve Buscemi, double feature, and <laughs> it goes in a interesting category of characters. I call it the uh, oh, hey, oh, no kind of character. And the best examples come from the Death Wish franchise in Death Wish Part 1. Who shows up uh, but fresh-faced from, thank God, it's... And that is Jeff Goldblum as a horrible rapist. Death Death Wish 2 comes around. And we have uh, Larry Don't Call Me Lawrence Fishburne as a rapist. Death Wish 3, Alex Winter shows up. And you're like, oh, not cool, dude, not cool. In this long line of character actors in these genre films committing these horrible assault scenes. And it doesn't make it any easier. And that is to say... Buscemi and their gang, it's, 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 un, it's uncomfortable. It's not 
overtly gratuitous. In fact, there is no nudity in this film. It's still rough to watch, but it's not the worst thing you are going to see on this feed. That is to say, but put it out there. It does exist. So I want to make sure people are aware of that. Now, that being said, because not knowing that was good and it kind of showed possibly of what was going to happen. So I was like, oh, damn it. Is it one of those kind of films? And it is, but it isn't. And if you were to nerd knowledge, some trailers for this one, you would go for a very weird journey. And the journey itself does come from the whole premise of the movie is that Jennifer Jason Lee's character has inherited this giant or not even giant, this niche nightclub from her. Uh, we'll say, we'll say eccentric uncle that is deceased. And first thing with this nightclub is the thing that ties the whole club together. And if you've seen this film and there are a number of reasons, like I said, to actually watch this film, just be pre forewarned with the assault scene. But this Jallo hallway they have. And when you see it, you'll know it. It is bright red. The lighting uh, things, they look like something straight out of Suspiria. And it's awesome. It is fantastic. And it's just so vibrant. And you see it. It comes back throughout the movie. It is very much a character in the film. But it's what ties everything together. And then, oh my goodness, when you go to all of the individual rooms that occur in this in this nightclub. And it turns out, it's a nightclub. But it's also... Um, a haven for tr- want to be trying to summon maybe a sex demon or two. This does lean into, do you want a Cenobite? This is how you get Cenobites. But I did have a really nice other kind of Rick Dalton moment during the credits. <laughs> Admittedly, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when you hear and see music by Yanni I was like wow that takes me to a very particular time where my only frame of reference to Yanni was a a negative I guess kind of joke at his expense in chasing Amy and I said, ooh Yanni that was my frame of reference that is to say the score itself it's pretty good it actually lends into the overall weirdness of this movie. And that is to say, tonally it goes all over the place and it can't really settle on what particular tone it wants. And I think there's some good intention going on with this film, but that is to say, I think the expectations and the, and the intent kind of went beyond the reach of what they actually had. Now, that is to say, they have and had a young Jennifer Jason Lee really coming into her own, really making this character her own, 
and then you're backed by the score by Yanni. But I mentioned the variety of rooms that exist in this in this nightclub, and some are fairly chaste. Some are actually apple oriented. There's literally an apple room, so maybe the the the, the knowledge room, the uh, the Eden room. But it eventually escalates into a room where you should open it. Instead of what we're going to hear, you should hear actually a chacal going. Either that or you've got Big Ed coming in in a gimp suit as we very much have an S&M room. And even before that, we have, well... And what's great is I was looking, trying to figure out which track to listen to or play a snippet of, but sometimes it's the title of the track that really brings you in. And in this case, you can thank the simplicity of the title of this track as we're going to listen to a snippet of The Library of Porn. It's not too often that you get to hear sinister saxophone. But in this case, you literally have this room that is nothing but magazines. There is this really weird Pac-Man video game where pretty much once you capture the ghost, you have sex with it. And then you're, you're tapping the button for every thrust it's perverse. It's crazy. There's X-rated cartoons going on in this. It is a house of distinct pleasures, as it is. It's weird. And therefore, I'll tell you what. The first, I'm not saying this is a uh, big kind of like first sign indicator. But her uncle has a closet full of Hawaiian shirts and as plentiful as they are, guaranteed, all of every single one of them is of different and distinct design, depending on how much of a partier he wants to be. This is very much in the vein of an Uncle Frank. If he had a nightclub and then he inherited it down and Christie took it over, well, imagine if Christie was Jennifer Jason Lee, and you kind of have what this film is. And then on top of that, I didn't necessarily see she's smoking a lot of cigarettes in this film, you know, they're pretty badass and cool, but 
didn't see anyone smoking pot because she has indeed inherited a waterbed. We have a waterbed in this movie, and it comes into play. Because I mentioned this movie is weird, and it gets very weird. There's this, she has this dream that it invokes eyeballs, and a it involves a giant eyeball and miniature eyeballs within the pre-said waterbed. There's, uh, oh my God, we have Frank, Frank friggin Stallone in this movie as a cop. And then inevitably at the very end, he shows up with his buddies, all of his cop buddies, all playing instruments, of course, and singing this little jaunty tune. It's kind of weird, kind of weird. It's really, really weird. The, (laughs) the fact that. I just recently took in cobwebs and given that this will be releasing in the month of October, I think you should check out cobwebs. But if you're feeling in a weird mood that admittedly, again, keep in mind the assault rape scene that occurs, it would play well with it. And that is to say, there's another element to this film that I don't want to give anything away. And it's just, I'm watching the movie and in the, in the, my head, I'm like, ah, God bless you, Jennifer Jason Lee. This is very much a horror film, although you'd probably find it in the thriller uh, section of your blockbuster back in the day. Cause this did come back at, that came out in 1988. So this is probably even your mom and pop, but yeah, this is uh this is available on to be also oh, should. um Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so. Uh, thanks to Tubi, I can now truthfully say, Heart of Midnight? I've seen that. of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that can't say same as it ever was without doing that arm and hand motion my name is greg and on today's patreon only episode i've seen that challenge finds me filling in my demi gap as i finally experience 1984's Stop making sense. And if you are listening in, thank you for being one of the groovy groupies that help make up our Nightmare Junkhead film family. And if any of you had come up to me between tours and asked, Greg, uh, what do you think about Stop Making Sense? Oh, isn't that a, that's a Demi documenting a burn and his crew? I've seen that. And welcome back, uh, Jonathan Demi, uh, the late great Jonathan Demi. And he is no stranger to this feed, as I have taken in both cage, Caged Heat uh, and Something Wild for the first time. And he is just such a uh, wonderfully diverse filmmaker, given his Corman roots and then his eventual 
Hollywood lore, uh, you know, sweeping the Oscars, not sweeping the Oscars, but dominating the Oscars with the Silence of the Lambs and giving horror some some status in with the, the normies there. But there's been always this blip with the demi filmography, and that's because I was very familiar and aware of his involvement with Stop Making Sense. And I am somewhat of, let's, I would say more of just a casual fan of the Talking Heads and David Byrne. Uh, growing up in the heyday of MTV, and that is to say when it was nothing but music videos, <clears throat> the Talking Heads always had the some of the coolest videos uh, the ones that were very just striking and and odd and quirky and i always just back in the day they were just kind of the artsy fartsy mtv video band and it wasn't until i got older that i realized and was uh <laughs> recognized the importance of the of them from punk to new wave into what they are and the amount of artists they've influenced uh the amount of just art just how part how much <clears throat> part of the popular conscious they are and it doesn't necessarily start with this but it definitely cements their place in all that is cool and just going in knowing the 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 played out jams of the talking heads you know you burning down burning down the house is one of those that i'll always forever associate with uh, revenge of the nerds which is another one that from also 1984 turns out uh that one or excuse me uh yeah 1984, eh, don't, if you go back to Revenge of the Nerds, just realize the shenanigans are really felonies and maybe we shouldn't be rooting for the nerds. But at a certain point, the Alpha Betas are throwing a party and at that party, they're playing the talking heads burning down the house and I don't want to spoil anything, but let's just say sometimes Fireball comes into play. But I knew the talking heads through that. And I was, and if you go back to one of our main feed episodes where we talk uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which I know film family member Chad is getting ready to watch for the first time. And I hope you enjoy it because it's one that's kind of near and dear to the show. But it closes with Psycho Killer from Talking Heads. So I, again, on the periphery. I know those songs and I know those songs are involved with stop making sense. But outside of that, I have no familiarity with their catalog. So not only am I watching a movie for the first time, which as we say at Screenland uh, at Friday night frights, you know, we, we truly celebrate the first time viewing. There is nothing like it. And when it can be in the theater, uh, when it can be with a really good, fun, infectious audience, it elevates 
the first time viewing experience into something special. And then being that I'm going to be listening to a lot of these Talking Heads songs for the first time. That's also a really nice experience because I'm hearing them for the first time. So to actually then, and to me, that was the connective tissue. I'm pretty sure I've at one point or another seen a lot of this movie. I mean, I've seen the giant suit. We've all seen the giant suit. Uh, I think the giant suit showed up on the Simpsons to tell you how influential that is. But all the the deep cuts, the Tom Tom Club song, all of it was magical. And what was wonderful was I was, uh, so get regional, I was at Screenland, Theater One, front row, middle couch. I got I got there early. And to my right, um, there were these three folks there. It, was like, it turns out it was a dad, uh, his uh, daughter, and his son. And he looked over and he's like, hey, what are you guys doing for Friday Night Frights? And I realized, I'm like, oh shit, he recognizes me from the thing. So I immediately went from... I'm at Screenland, I'm not hosting, I'm kicked back to, let's get into host Gary. Hey man, yeah, we're doing, are are you ready to play a game? Went into all that, realized that the the kids were seeing it for the first time, not seeing it for the first time, they loved it. There was, and it was, it was wonderful. So I had the couch to myself and let's just say I was kind of, moving and grooving as much as I can on the couch. Um, that is to say I was truly enjoying the music. Um, when the groove was hitting me right, you know, I was shimmying as much as I could on the couch, but I didn't get up. I didn't start actually dancing, which I've heard has actually occurred at some of the theatrical screenings. And I, I get it. But what was wonderful was the family next to me, the Friday Night Fright semi-regulars, they were also rocking out. In fact, the the son, he was probably, he looked to be of, he was a, an early teen, and he was air drumming and was getting into it. And the more they got into it, and even if it was a, a song I was hearing for the first time, it, it just elevated it even more for me to the point. I, and again, it was a day that ended with the word day, but I teared up and cried a little a few times because it was just a nice communal experience something they're taking in for the billionth time first time theatrically for them I think first time theatrically for most people that are taking it in that have watched it you know ad nauseum nauseum you know at home and then for me to be watching taking in these songs for the first time and the peripheral communal experience of them reacting especially when one hits and you hear them yeah it's fun it's rad it was just it added to it but then the movie itself how it starts how it closes the simplicity of everything uh just i I think almost the the brilliance of starting with psycho killer and just paring it down to its most simple elements of him (laughs) I'm going to play a tape. Clicks on his little <clears throat> boom box or ghetto blaster, depending on your region. And then just with an acoustic guitar, kicks in. And then 
you add, and in my favorite part of the movie, and again, watching it for the first time, I was kind of transfixed and and hyper focused and aware of the crew, um, the the cats that are bringing in the the instruments that are hooking everything up, because they're in all black, and apparently <clears throat> this was inspired by some art installation, play, performance that David Byrne had apparently experienced and watched. And it was like, I want to, I want to make sure to incorporate that in a specific way. And throughout the movie, I'm like, you know what? I know there is there's a commentary uh, with whatever boutique Blu-ray put this out, but I need to look up to see if there's anything with, the crew guys back there because the entire time I'm like, I want a commentary with them because while the, while the, the you know, the musicians are out there killing it, you know, they they still have to do all their stuff to make sure that they, they're allowed. The musicians are allowed to kill it. Uh, and I was just, and I was, I was soaking in everything. And then after they, that they bring in um, Tina and then they, they, they play the next song and Tina of course is just I think everyone crushed on Tina and then they bring in um, the drummer Chris and just with then every song they build in and then finally they bring in the backing band and it's the backing band for me that I, I had heard of their awesomeness. Like part of the reputation of the experience of watching this movie is it's the talking heads plus the backing band. And you have the, the singers, uh, Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt. You've got the guitarist, Alex Weir, uh, percussionist, Steve scales with all of his energy. But for me, the piece de resistance, the thing that truly adds the the groove and just the lifeblood of the movie is keyboardist Bernie Worrell. And that makes sense. As it turns out, uh, he is one of the founding members of Parliament Funkadelic. And it makes sense. And there's a moment in the movie with one of the songs, and this is where I do, I want to take a time to at least highlight a couple of the, 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 the songs that I experienced here. But there was a moment, though, when he was hitting this particular line on his, his keyboard that I just, every time I went, oh. And every time he hit it, I started going, oh. And then to the point, I'm pretty sure I was sounding like Wilford Brimley in the thing doing his autopsy, oh, 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 because it was effective and it was funky. Uh, so I'm going to play a clip here from, and this is, goddamn, this is why I love everything with this, but this is the, this is a lick from, ready for it, making Flippy Floppy. <laughs>
I mean, it was just that kind of an experience. It, when that was one of many moments. But then they kicked in with the the the, the played out jams, the fan favorites, and, and believe me, you know, burning down the house, life during wartime, once in a lifetime. They play as they do. In fact, what was wonderful is after every every song ended, man, my the entire people in clapping and hooping and hollering it was awesome and listen i was in the front row i was kind of again skirched in doing my own little making flippy floppy on the couch myself so i don't know people may have been dancing up up in the in the in the seats i don't know but there was the the, the ones i wasn't familiar with and again the influence and hearing all of the stuff that like john zorn would take from all of the stuff from the talking heads, uh, Mike Patton, uh, Brian Eno, <laughs> obviously collaborating, uh, just all of them. It makes sense. And it just makes it even cooler because I think at a certain point when I was growing up, I may have not have reacted as well to this one. I would have been like, well, if it's, if it's not metal, I'm not going to want to listen to it. You know, this is because he's, they're taking in, all sorts of music, but all the good stuff that they're taking in. Um, and this is the, this is the one that really affected me because this was more of a, a jam in a way, which I appreciate. But yeah, but this one is actually from cross-eyed and painless. Uh, last little lick we'll listen to. <laughs> Call and responses happening. It is basically go back to, I guess, my thoughts on Kansas City. Very much a jam session. And you've got just some incredible musicians doing some incredible things. Of course, there's the big suit. I mean, every everyone knows the big suit. In fact, so much that the big suit. And what's funny is I was waiting like during the credit. The, they end everything, everyone runs off, and I I didn't know if there was going to be some sort of encore, so I sat through the entirety of the credits, and to, to, the, to their credit, because that I can give credit to Gail, is it a, Gail Blacker designed the suit, and everyone knows the suit, everyone knows, and David Byrne's performance throughout, just the pure physicality, it's exhausting. It's like watching uh, Bruce Dickinson and Iron Maiden running around. But David Byrne, like, literally runs around the stage like three times during one of the songs. And it's during also, oh, this was a nice thing, uh, the Tom Tom Club little intermission. And when 
when Tina starts doing her little shuffle, and you know what I'm talking about, it just charmed me to no end. And that's what's incredible with this this experience. And you want to talk about being lucky enough to see something for the first time, you know, theatrically and with a good crowd. And that's something we talk about on Friday Night Frights. We literally say we we do appreciate you coming out here. And I think because of our, you know, we've been doing it three years. We've got a a number of regulars. People kind of know the deal. So when when I see someone raising their hand saying, yeah, I'm watching it for the first time, I'm I'm genuinely kind of jealous because I know what that feeling is like when you see a movie for the first time with a crowd theatrically and it hits. It's it's glorious. It is very memorable. Um, this is one I, I I understand why it works, you know, at home. But while you can, and this is, of course, going to release much later. <laughs> But I hope all of you got a chance to see it theatrically because it is very, very well worth it. In fact, I uh, ran into film family member Julie and her crew. They had just walked out of <clears throat> It Lives Inside, which you all know my thoughts on. I dug it. And I'm kind of not misty-eyed, but I was definitely still kind of reeling from the experience of Stop Making Sense. So my apologies, uh, Julie, Robin, um, all of your friends that if I... Seemed a little weird. I was, you know, I was, I was walking it off. Uh, so thanks to Screenland Armor, I can now truthfully say, stop making sense. I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> 